So here we are. We're in West Des Moines visiting my little sister. And I'm in her apartment. Yay! This is Madeline. Hi! Maddie is drinking a Capri Sun because she <laughs> is not 21. And I have for today a white Zin. So it's like a pinkish colored wine. You actually would probably like this, Maddie, if you drank wine. It is like rose gold. It's kind of a sweeter wine, so this isn't my favorite that has that's been in there. But <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because you. Is it good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not my favorite. I don't know. It kind of has like a. It's really sweet, and I don't know. It just has this, like, flavor to it that I don't love. But accompanying the white Zinfandel, we have some cheese, and it's of the Edom variety. And I was actually at Hy-Vee the other day because there are Hy-Vees in Iowa. And I not – not in Minneapolis, but – so I was at a Hy-Vee. And I saw that they were selling Edom cheese, and I had, and I didn't know what kind of cheese that was. And so I actually asked the lady that was doing, that was like selling the cheeses, and she told me all about Edom cheeses. She was like, "Oh, it's similar to a Gouda, and it's very mild in flavor and salty, and blah blah blah." And it actually, like, looked like a Gouda too. It had like the, it was in a wheel of cheese, with like the red wax around it. But this cheese is is just in a little block. Maddie just asked me if I was about to eat butter but it's fine. <laughs> um, but I also, she also told me that Edom cheese doesn't ever spoil. It just, um, like it never goes bad. It just gets hard. Isn't that weird? That's really gross. <laughs> That's really odd, but let's try it. You sure you don't want to try no. a little bit? No, thank you. Okay. Why are you making is that Is it good? Mm-hmm. This cheese is really good. So, what are we doing in Des Moines today, Maddie? Well, we just saw the best play that we've ever seen in our life. It was so good. It was so good. I was so <laughs> impressed with it. It was Elf. It was. Elf the Musical. And it was just at, like, the Community Playhouse. But they did a phenomenal job, and it was so funny. I, It was hilarious. I was laughing so hard during it. And there were so many times where... I turned to look at Maddie, and we just both had our mouths wide open. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. Um, I did not think that I was going to like it as much as I did. Because, I, I don't know, I feel like some like community playhouses don't have the budget, or they don't have the time, or blah, blah, blah. They don't have the resources, the actors, but mm-hmm. it was awesome. Um, so... It's almost Christmas. We're just a couple days away. Are you done with all of your Christmas shopping? Yes. Yeah? What was the who was the last person you had to buy for? Um Colin. Really? Yeah. Nice. But and you're feeling good about what you got oh, him. It's so good. You're so excited. <laughs> yeah. Tell me the story about how you chose it. Well, I first called mom to oh, see. Really? Did she tell you that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I called mom first because I was in REI. Okay, wait. So we also so the way that our siblings does Secret Santa, we 
or the way that we do Christmas presents is we just do a secret Santa. And so we just have to get one gift for one of the siblings rather than getting six gifts, seven gifts, because we'd have to get gifts for all of our, our five siblings plus their two oh. significant others. Yeah. So it's easier <laughs> to just have it all together, but, um, and do a secret Santa. So anyways, mm-hmm. so you called mom. So I was in REI and I called mom and which REI was a great place to start. Thank you. Yeah. And mom had no clue. Really? Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> so then I asked dad, and he also had no clue. Colin is so easy to shop for, though. Well, I was in there, and dad goes, maybe just find a good rope or something. What? <laughs> like, because he likes rock climbing? Yeah. So he was. He so, said, find a good rope. <laughs> I went over to the ropes, and I wasn't feeling it. So then I... Which, by the way, Colin does not rock climb with ropes. He does it, like, just on his own. Yeah. As, like... He does bouldering rather than, like, belaying rock climbing. Mm-hmm. But, anyways. So, then I went over to the bicycle stuff and didn't really see anything good there either. Mm-hmm. So, then I called you mm-hmm. and you told me what to get. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I should say it because will he hear this before? No, he Christmas? won't hear this before. So, you can say what you got. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving it to him, to him Saturday, right? No, Sunday. Sunday? Well, you can just say anyways. Okay. I got him a lantern mm-hmm. for camping. Yep. And then I also got him some chalk for rock climbing. Yeah, that was yeah. perfect. So good. When, we, when she was on the phone with me, um, we were talking about... There was a cookbook that we yeah. were going to get called, like, the Dirty... It was like the dirty camping, cook? like dirty recipes or something. Yeah, something like that. And it was it was like a backpacking camping cook yeah. or cookbook, and so it had a bunch of different recipes in there. Mm-hmm. That would that would have been something that would have been more exciting to me. Yeah. But I knew that he would have liked that too. But I think that I think that you struck gold with yeah. your gift. He's gonna love it. And Jory was also on the phone. Helping. Jory was also on the phone. Jory has been on like two episodes by at at this point now. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, technically three because he walked in on one of them mm. and just started talking. But yeah. He's so the best. yeah, Jory is the best. <laughs> um, Maddie added Jory on Snapchat today, mm-hmm. so now they can Snapchat their lives away. But. Okay, so I just have a quick little story for you. Um, it's the story of a man named Marion Pruitt. Okay. Okay. So Marion Pruitt, so when he was a child, he it seems like he was a pretty good kid. Actually, and it's, he was born in 1949 in like near Charlotte, North Carolina. And as a child, he had been hailed a hero when he leapt onto a runaway school bus and stopped it. Wow. Yeah. But then by his late teens, he had this crazy arrest record. And by his early 20s, he was in Atlanta prison serving time for bank robbery. So it sounds like what he kind of did was he would, he was kind of, he was mixed up in some drug stuff, but he would do a lot of bank robberies and so then he would serve time for him. Um, so he was in a cell with three other men and there were bunk beds okay and one of the people that was in his cell one of the guys I can't remember what his name was let me see um William Zambito so he was on the bunk bed he he shared the bunk bed with Marion and at in 
William was only there for a short amount of time because he was stopping at this prison on his way to a different prison because apparently he's he was this really big um like a drug dealer but um he was on a lot of people's hit lists like he wasn't well liked and so a lot of people wanted to kill him so they were like let's put him in this prison but but let's take him to this other prison where he'll be safer because otherwise he's gonna get jumped and he has gotten in a lot of fights with other people at these other prisons so he was apparently on the high danger list and so um he was it was just a stopover and one of the people that that held a grudge against Sambito, this guy, was his name was Big Al Benton, and he was another drug dealer. And Benton was also incarcerated at the same prison as Zambito. But and it and it sounds like he was even in the same cell. So it was like our guy Marion, Zambito, the guy that was on his way to the other prison, and then Big Al. And they all went to bed in, let's see, it was 1979, March 22nd, 1979. They all went to bed, but then one of them never woke up. Oh, no. I know. William Zambito had his throat slashed while he was sleeping. And it's crazy because the, so he, he died, I mean, pretty soon after. And on the night of the killing, the... Marion, our bank robber, he was sleeping in the bunk below Zambito, and he said that he heard his cellmate cry, like, oh no, oh god, no, or something like that. And then he also said that, hey, I'll tell, I saw who did it, and I'll tell you who did it um, if you, like, keep me safe and protect me. And so then Marion told the police that it was Big Al who killed him, which is like there was motive for him to kill the other guy. And in exchange for Marion to, to testify in court against Big Al in this murder, um, the the court system agreed to put Marion in witness protection. Okay. Mm-hmm. Side note: I listened to uh, I listened to a podcast yesterday, and it was um, it was co- it's called Criminal, and I've mentioned it on this podcast a couple of times because it's just a phenomenal podcast, but. They were talking about the witness protection program and kind of all of the little details of how to get into the witness protection program and um, what the rules are for the witness protection program. And they like interview the man who started the witness protection program and back in the 70s. And apparently since its conception, the witness protection program has like provided protection to 8,600 people. Wow. That's so many people who, I mean, like, have the classic, like, oh, they witnessed a crime, they're, they were being, they were testifying against this person in court, and then they got moved to another place as, like, to start their life over, and they're never mm-hmm. able to tell anybody about their previous lives. And so, I mean, 8,600 people, I had no idea it would be that many people, but, so, I mean, the odds that you've met somebody that is in yeah. witness protection. Wow. I was listening to that podcast with dad actually and I was like, are you in witness protection? <laughs> because if you think about it, he grew up in Washington DC and then he moved to Waterloo, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe he's in witness protection. Maybe he saw something and they moved him out to the middle of nowhere. Maybe. 
Anyways, so they agreed to put him in witness protection. So he was actually released from prison. And he and his wife were given a new identity and moved to a new state away from um, any, like, potentially deadly grudges of that other cellmate, um, Big Al. Um, So he was given a new name, which was Charles Pearson, and his wife was also given a new identity. And um, so they settled into New Mexico, and they had they were given an $800 a month stipend that they received from the Witness Protection Program. And, like, the program helped him find a new job. They helped him get settled and pretty much, like, trained him to, like, essentially kind of forget about this old identity. Um, and I actually, it's interesting because one of the things that I saw, too, was that they always when they were talking about like how they chose a new name for people in witness protection they would always choose a last name that started with the same initial as your previous last name because Mm -hmm. then you would um and they would usually even keep their first name like if their first name was a normal name for this guy his first name was Marion and so I understand why they changed it to something a little bit less conspicuous but like say say you were going to go into witness protection your name's Madeline Rowanhorst so they would move you to a new state and they would probably give you the name of like Madeline Robinson or something because then essentially the the reason behind this was that if you ever sign your name so then you sign Madeline and then you start signing Rowanhorst then you can like catch yourself it gives Mm -hmm. you time to catch yourself or something but anyways so then he so he was given this new identity, moved to New Mexico with his wife. But then, um, just a couple years later, a couple of gas company workers found a naked corpse of a woman um, in like a kind of a desert area near Albuquerque, and she had been strangled, beaten, and set on fire. She was obviously dead, and close to the body, detectives found like a medical medical alert bracelet. Um, and then that helped them track down who that woman, woman was. And she was Marion Pruitt's wife. So her real name was Pamela Sue Knutson, but uh, she obviously was given a new identity during that. But it's crazy because when they were first trying to investigate him, since he was in witness protection, he had no, like history of his identity so they like even if you did a background check so his name was Charles Pearson in witness protection so they would they didn't know that he was in witness protection and Mm -hmm. he wasn't allowed to tell them that and so he even if they did like a background check of Charles Pearson it's like okay he doesn't have very much employment history we don't have we have some like high school records or whatever but it's like he he doesn't have x y and z so it just is a lot harder to kind of track down who he actually is. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, if, like, the police, they had reached out to federal agencies to try to get more information on this guy, and the federal agencies couldn't give them anything more. Even though mm-hmm. he was a suspect in this murder, Yeah. Um, he, they weren't able to, like, disclose anything. Um, anyways, so he said that he didn't know anything... what happened to her but the police thought that that he was lying and so that's why they came up they tried to get more information on him and then 
by the time the sheriff managed to finally realize that he was in witness protection and find his true identity and his true criminal record, um, Marion had disappeared. So then there were reports that of a bank robber of like a lot of different bank robberies that fit his description all across like Seattle, Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi, Tallahassee, um, and so a lot of people thought that he was kind of like trying to get away. Also, side note, like it was really easy to know that that was him because he was relatively short and he had a glass eye. Like he, from a childhood injury. And so he was called the one-eyed bandit. Uh, In Mississippi, he made off with $7,000. Let's see. And he, yeah, so he was just like, um, and he was actually also kidnapping people too while he was robbing the banks. So he, so like for the first one, he, he robbed a savings bank um and he made off with seven seven thousand dollars and he took a he kidnapped a loan officer from the bank as well and then a month later he robbed a convenience store taking 103 163 dollars and he also kidnapped the night shift clerk they're all women um in colorado later he he um were any of these women found they were all murdered oh yeah that, like their bodies were found, but um, in this one it says that he he struck again in Colorado in two different places where he um, shot dead two Seven Eleven overnight clerks and he made off from with only like fifty dollars from those robberies, which is crazy. Uh, and then less than a day after those killings, Texas state troopers pulled over him for speeding and they saw that there was a a gun under the seat and so they um arrested him and that put an end to his murder and robbery road trip he confessed and he talked about like he confessed to all of the murders that he had done um he admitted to and he led like the police to their bodies so then they could find them and then he also um he also admitted to killing other people in other places that hadn't been connected to him yet. He was found guilty for those murders, and he received a life sentence in Mississippi. And also, so the fact that he was doing all of these murders in different states is crazy because it's like all of these different states have such different like sentences, sentencing mm-hmm. guidelines, and he had to then be tried for these murders in every state. <laughs> Sounds like an expensive trial all of that but so he in all he received two life sentences um and then he was and he was convicted of his wife's murder which earned him another life sentence um he received the death penalty in arkansas and then in um and then he spent 17 years on death row before he was executed in april 1999 and then get this what Right before he died, he admitted that he was the one that had killed the cellmate. I knew it was him the whole time. Ah! So he had killed the cellmate, and then in return for, like, the murder, he could make up the story and got, was released from prison and was put in the witness protection. So he was protected by Mm -hmm. the government, and then he was able to, like, make, like, kill all of these other people under this other alias. I knew it was him. How did you know? 
Because I just knew. You just knew it had to have, like, a twist at the end. I don't know. I just thought that was fascinating because it's, like, they talked about how this was one of, like, the worst stories of witness protection because in all, witness protection does really help people in it. But there are some other instances where witness protection hasn't helped people where, like, people... (laughs) Sorry. But they did talk about other instances where, like, the witness protection program didn't necessarily help people because, um, but I mean, because most of the people that are benefiting from the witness protection program are also criminals themselves, Mm -hmm. and so then the fact that they are then protected by the government and then moved somewhere else, a lot of them do continue to, like, commit these crimes in their new area but the Mm -hmm. but the kicker too is that then they're tried as like first time offenders because they don't have this other criminal history behind them but anyways so that's just that's just my little nighttime story for you before you go to bed before i go to bed yeah (laughs) how'd you like it it was good 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 i enjoyed it well i hope you have a merry christmas maddie and i'm excited to spend the next several days with you yes me too oh yes Well, goodbye. Bye.